Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. From the uh, passage that um, Caleb read, he began with a call to praise. Praise the Lord. Shout for joy. And then there was a heaping up of reasons why the Lord is worthy to be praised. So you have, he, uh, you know, made the sea into dry land whenever they crossed into the, crossed over the Red Sea. And, and all these lists of things of why we ought to praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to do something I don't always do. I don't do it very often. I'm going to ask you, what are some reasons we have to praise the Lord? A lot, yeah. I thank the Lord every day. Every day is a precious Mm-hmm. Okay. What's, what are some things we can praise God for? Friends, family, mm-hmm. Just anything. Well, tonight our passage for the sermon, it has the same kind of structure that we saw in the passage that Caleb read. At the beginning, there's a call to praise, and the rest of it is giving us reasons for why we ought to praise him. Let's take a look at our text in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you we could gather here together to worship you. Lord, we thank you for all of the blessings that you give us, for family, for friends, for, for uh, a church home, uh, for all of these things, but also for the things that we're about to read and think about uh, from your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have adopted us as sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you that you have, you have chosen us out of the world. Lord, you have made known to us the mystery of your will. Lord, we praise you and we glorify you for the wonders of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to remind us, as we look at the book of Ephesians, the first half of the book, he's telling us what God has done in Christ. He has, he's telling us about God. He's telling us what is true about God, about us, about um, the world about believers, about unbelievers. He's telling us things that are the truth. And then on the last half of the book, he's, he's going to, starting in chapter four, start applying that. On the basis of what we know is true, this is how you ought to live. And so this is in that first half. What we're, what we're looking at is largely the things that God has done in Christ for us. And the first thing we see, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it may not look like it in your Bible, but actually verses 3 through 14 in the Greek are all one big sentence. One long sentence from 3 to 14. The main part of that sentence, the, the oomph, the, the, the emphasis that, that we need to hear from that is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the main point of it. Everything else dangles off of that one part of the sentence to make it, um, it all modifies that, that main part. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a kind of a Jewish prayer. You might uh, think of um, blessed be the man who um, does this or that. Um, here we're seeing Paul is praying and saying, blessed be God. And he's calling us as we read this. He's calling us to bless and praise God. He blesses not only just a generic God, not, not just God who of the philosophers, God of, 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 uh, of just our imaginations, but the specific God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who from all eternity past planned to send His Son who would die on the cross for our sins and who would raise again and be seated at the, uh, hand, the right hand of the Father. This is the God we worship. This is the God we praise. And then he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you might ask after that first part, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, why? Why? 
Why should we bless God? Why should we praise Him? And the answer is because He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because He has given us these gifts, that we are benefactors of His marvelous grace. Blessed be Him because He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Not just, not just some blessings, but every spiritual blessing, He tells us. And not just temporal gifts. He says spiritual blessings. So He's not talking here about having the, the kinds of things that uh, the prosperity gospel would teach. Things like having a nice car, things like having a nice house and material prosperity. He's saying he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's encouraging. Uh, think about someone who is poor, someone who has no means in this life, someone maybe who is one of our brothers and sisters in, in Africa or in India who, who may uh, you know, have a, 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 just a subsistence kind of living. And these brothers and sisters of ours share with us the fact that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then it says, in the heavenly places. Now, I had to scratch my head a little bit when I first came to this. What is, it, what is he meaning here by uh, in the heavenly places? I think Peter uses the same kind of uh, terminology whenever he's in in first Peter and he says that our inheritance that God has has given us is kept in heaven for us it is reserved there and nobody can touch it it is beyond any kind of of damage or moth or rust cannot destroy it but our every spiritual blessing are being held and kept safe in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realms. They can't be taken away. They can take our life. They can take our goods. But they can never take every spiritual blessing that we have in Jesus. Then he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So he told us, Praise God, blessed, blessed be Him, because He has given us every spiritual blessing. And now, the rest of the passage, He's going to spell out what those spiritual blessings are. Maybe not exhaustively, but He's giving us a list of all these, these spiritual blessings that we have. And the first one He says is, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, people get squeamish about texts like this. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Are you talking about predestination? Well, the next verse says, He predestined us for adoption. So yeah, I'm talking about predestination. The Bible uses the word predestination. It uses the word, He has predestined us. So all believers that believe the Bible, we have to wrestle with this. What does he mean by predestined? 
What does he mean? There are two main views. I'm going I'm to explain these two main views. One would be that God, from eternity past, looked forward through the corridors of time, and he saw what we would do, and he chose us on that basis. That he chose us based on what he knew we were going to do. The other view, which I'm going to say, I'm going to be, I'm going to be brave here and say this is my view, which I believe that this text teaches, is that God shows us merely according to his good pleasure. Not on the basis of anything in us, but completely unconditionally. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in him. Now, I don't want, I want to step back a little bit. That, that is sometimes controversial when we think about on what basis did God choose us? And I don't really want to linger here too long. The purpose that Paul, Paul gives us here, the reason he's writing is not for us to speculate about how God chooses each person. The, the purpose here is for it to cause us to praise him. We read here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And one of those blessings is if you are trusting in Jesus tonight, if you are one of his children, if you've been saved, then God chose you. Does that cause you to praise him? That God, of all the people in the world, of, of, of knowing how, how sinful that you may be, God chose you. Does that make you want to praise him? Does that want, make you want to shout hallelujah? That God chose you. If you're believing in him, if you're trusting in him, that's something we know about God. One of the gifts, one of the, the blessings that he's blessed us with. God chose you. And he chose you for a purpose. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He's chosen us to be holy and to be blameless. Now, holy has two different kinds of ideas behind it. One is the set-apartness. It's, it's set-apart and different. And the other definition that we think of in holiness is the moral purity. I'm going to first look at the, the, the set-apartness. When God chose us, he chose us as to be what verse 1 from last week said. He chose us to be saints, holy ones. He has called us up out of the world and brought us to himself and made us his own people. Just as he had chose Abraham and called him out and made the Jewish people his chosen people, he has included us in that as he has brought us out of the world and made us his own. He set us apart and made us his own children. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy, to be set apart. And also blameless, blameless, without guilt, without any sin, without any blot, 
We think maybe of the sacrificial system when, when the, the animals would have to be sacrificed. The animals had to be blameless, perfect. They could not have any spot on them, any blemish on them. And the Bible tells us if we have trusted in Christ, if we have been born again, He has predestined us to be blameless. Now you may think, how in the world can I ever be blameless? If we're all honest with ourselves, we think about our own sin, about every time that we've fallen short, we think, how in the world? But this is an encouragement to us. No matter how many times that you have fallen, no matter how many times that you have tripped up, remember, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, He has predestined you to be blameless. And it may not be now, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be, in, it won't be in this lifetime. But there will come a day whenever Jesus returns and He raises us from our graves and we will be glorified and we will never sin again. We will be holy and blameless forever. He has predestined us to that. The next thing it says is he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Here we have that word again, predestined, but it's here in the Bible. He has done this so that we would be adopted. We were once God's enemies. We were once rebels. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And God made us alive and he has adopted us as sons. First, uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of John tells us that as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. We are not his enemies any longer. We have been reconciled and we have been brought into his family. In the Roman world, when it comes to adoption, an adopted child has all the same benefits as the, the uh, natural child. All the same benefits. And it tells us here that we have been predestined for the adoption to himself as sons. Now, Ladies who are here, you may think that's weird. We've been predestined to the adopt. What about what about us? What about daughters? Does why does it say sons here? Well, I think there's a reason, and I don't think you'd want to be offended by it. I don't think Paul here is being chauvinistic. Instead, who is it that gets an inheritance? It's the sons. So male and female, Jew and Gentile, all brought together. We are adopted as sons and we share equally in the inheritance. Ladies, you want to be considered a son because you are completely included in the inheritance. No second class citizen in heaven. I hope that's clear. But we are adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. That's what it took to accomplish this adoption. 
He did it through Jesus and His work, what He did upon the cross. And His perfect living a life of obedience and His death and His resurrection. Then He tells us He's done this according to the purpose of His will. He has a plan. He has a plan that He has had from all eternity. He has had a plan that goes back before the foundation of the world, before the stars were flung into space, before the earth was ever made, before the seas were ever dug out, before any of that, before He made Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground and Eve out of the body of Adam, before any of that, He had a plan. He predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. The repetition of this according to the purpose of his will is one reason why I think it's not just because he looked and saw what we were going to do, but it was according to the purpose of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. All of this is to be to the praise of his glory. We sang that, to the praise of his glory. He's done all of this. He's given us all of these benefits in Christ. He's, he's, he's adopted us. He has predestined us. He has predestined us to be holy and blameless. All of these things to the praise of his glory. Not for us, although we benefit in it, but all of it is done for His glory and for His praise. Then, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This grace, where does this grace come from? He has blessed us with it in the Beloved. And who's the Beloved? Well, if you take a look at your Bible, you can look up here. Beloved is in capital B. The, the, the interpretation here that the translator has is that, that um, the beloved is God himself. The beloved is Jesus. He is the beloved. He is the one that God has loved, his only begotten son, the one whom he loved. And we are blessed in the beloved. It's through Him. He's the one who's gained all of these benefits for us. Verse 7. Here's another one. We've got, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. He has has predestined us for adoption. And now, in Him we have redemption through His blood. Redemption through His blood. We have been redeemed. We're Redeemer Baptist Church. (laughs) And we believe in being redeemed. He redeemed us. In Him we have redemption. He bought us with His own blood, it says, through His blood. That's what it took. That's what it cost for us to be saved. It took the blood of Jesus. Not the blood of any bull, not the blood of any goat, not any animal sacrifice, but the precious blood of Jesus 
That's what it costs for Him to buy us, for Him to pay our debt of sin that we owed. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What does it mean that we have redemption? We've been forgiven. Our trespasses have been forgiven. Our trespasses is another word for sin, but the, specifically the idea of trespass means to cross a line, to cross a boundary. When we disobey one of God's rules, when we disobey His commands, we trespass against Him. And we have forgiveness for this through the blood of Jesus as Jesus has paid our debt, what we owe Him because of our sin. And again, it says, according to the riches of his grace. He has given us this grace in the beloved. And it's all been according to the riches of his grace. He is not stingy. He is not a miser. God pours it out according to the riches of his grace. The next verse continues this, which he has lavished upon us. He's lavished on it. He has not been stingy, but he has poured out more than enough of what we need. He has lavished us with redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And he's given us all wisdom and insight. He's 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 given us this, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but this wisdom, he's put the spirit in us to help us to have wisdom and insight into knowing him. And then making known to us the mystery of his will. This is another blessing that he's given us, the spiritual blessing. He's made known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. In the Old Testament, they didn't see things as clearly. They saw only through a veil. And of course, Paul says we see through a veil darkly, but then we shall see face to face. In the Old Testament, let's just say the veil was much, much darker. <laughs> the veil meant that they, they, they did not... You know, Hebrews says that in the, in the former days, God spoke through the prophets and he spoke through angels. But in these days, he has spoken to us through his son. So God's plan had been a mystery. What is God's plan? Here it tells us his plan according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in himself, things in heaven and things on earth. You may think of the book of Revelation as the new Jerusalem comes down, descends, and heaven and earth touch. We have the new heavens and the new earth and everything is united in Jesus Christ. At a time when there will be no longer any crying or pain, no more disease, no more sickness, no more death. 
He is uniting all things in Jesus. And when it says here, to unite all things up in him, it has the idea of a mathematical computation. Um, It sums everything up in Christ. Everything was pointing to him. He's the sum of it all. You, you add everything up from all of history and it comes to Jesus. He's the sum. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Again, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have an inheritance We will gain eternal life. We will be accepted as sons and daughters like he's already talked about. We have an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. In him we have an inheritance, obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory. Now, who's he talking about here? We who were the first to hope in Christ. As I read this, I initially thought, well, that'd probably be the apostles, right? It'd be the apostles, the, the first people who hoped in Christ, but not really. If we, I think it, it goes, it's better to think that's the Jewish people. They had hoped in Christ. They had hoped in a Messiah that was to come. And you think back to Genesis chapter 3, whenever there was the curse and there was the promise that that one day a, a seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's head. And then the promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham that one day he would have a son who would bless all nations. And then the promise to David. I talk about this a lot. The promise to David that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever and ever and ever. And there would be no ending to his kingdom. This was all a part of the plan of God from all eternity past. And it says, we who who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Those Old Testament saints that believed in Christ, that were hoping in the Messiah that was come, their lives and all the benefits that they had were all to the praise of His glory. They were so that He would be praised and He would be glorified. And then in Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. So Paul here is writing probably to a Gentile audience. So we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And you, we Gentile believers, we also, when we heard the gospel proclaimed, we believed in him. We believed in him. And what happened when we believed? We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Some talk about how they think that you get saved at one point 
And then later on, you get the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Paul describes it like here. Paul says, when we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He came and seals us at that very moment. When we trust in him, when we look to him, he has sealed us. And the Spirit serves as, what the next verse says, a guarantee of our inheritance. How can we know that we have all these gifts? How can we know? How can we trust that we have all these things that Paul has been talking about? We have the guarantee. We have the Holy Spirit living with us. He indwells us. He is the guarantee. And so the Spirit, as Romans tells us, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is one of the benefits. Something the Old Testament saints didn't have. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living within them. But we, we have the Spirit living in us, helping us all the way. I'll list out these benefits again. He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He has predestined us for adoption as sons. And He has, in Him we have redemption. We've been forgiven of our sins. We have an inheritance. He's made known to us the plan of His, the mystery of His will. And He's given us the Holy Spirit. And all of these things and many others are all what the final phrase says, to the praise of His glory. He's working all these things out that we might praise Him. That we might glorify Him for what He has done. Now, this is what he tells us about what He has done in Christ for us. Now what? What do we do with this? What do we do with this? I want to just briefly point to chapter 4 in the same book where he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of, of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's the turning point in the book. When all of the, until we get to chapter four, it's all, this is what God has done in Christ. Now we are to go and walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. We are to walk as sons of God. We are to walk as those who are called to be holy and blameless before Him. We are to walk as those who understand the mystery of His will. We are to walk as those who have the Holy Spirit living in us. So that's what I'll conclude with. You've heard God's work that He's done on our behalf, the gifts that He has given us, now we go and we walk 
in a manner that's worthy of what he's done for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.